Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Today's scripture reading will be from Mark 14, 12 through 26. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is the guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them and prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the and while they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take this body. And he took a cup, and he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of God. Praise be to God. Good morning. My name is Scott, and I am, it's my privilege to serve as one of the elders here at Hill City. Um, if you have your Bibles or your apps, you can open them up to Mark 14. Um, I'm excited for us to look at this story in Mark and, and from here to hear from the Lord. And honestly, my hope for this morning is that we would, as we are looking at the Lord's Supper, see the Lord and be grateful for him and also be able to fix our eyes upon our eternal hope in Jesus. I'm going to pray before we begin. Jesus, we thank you for your word, the gospel that you've given us. Um, and Lord, as we look at scripture, would you, would your Holy Spirit um, work in our hearts and speak to us? Um, and God, would you give us um, rich understanding that we can leave this place this morning better knowing who you are. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Um, so as I've been preparing for this and, and thinking about the Lord's Supper, I, I, I thought about cooking. I, at my house, I love to do all the cooking. Um, in fact, I, I just want the kitchen. I want, I want to do the dishes. I want to cook. I want to kind of take control of that. I, it's a stress reliever for me to kind of take control of the kitchen. And so I love to cook and I love to prep for cooking. And I, I especially my favorite thing is to have people come over. And if they come over, cook a meal and have people sit at my table and I just find it, 
I just find it so filling to have people over, sitting at the table, and sharing a meal together. And I don't think that's like a unique thing to me, right? I think that's a human instinct, right? We enjoy sharing meals with one another. In fact, the more I think about it, I think it's a God-given instinct that we like to mark special moments in our lives with special meals. Um, if you're getting married, right, you get married, you have the ceremony, and then you have a right, reception, right? And there's food, and there's cake, and there's all of that stuff. And so you, you have to prep for that food. Um, you've been married for a while. You have an anniversary. You go out and have a dinner, right, to celebrate your anniversary. We mark holidays with food, right? Thanksgiving, right? Christmas. And you have certain foods that enter your mind. You're like, oh, that meal, yes, that I associate that food, that meal with that holiday or that special moment. My family's from South Texas, and so if I smell tamales... I think Christmas morning, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, Christmas morning. And, and I got married, and my wife was like, you eat tamales on Christmas morning? And I'm like, you don't eat tamales on Christmas morning? And there was definitely this bit of confusion because that was my, my wiring. I, I, I associate this significant meal with this significant moment. And the Jews felt this way as well. If you look at Jewish history, they have marked their calendar God ordered the Jews to mark their calendars throughout the year with special feasts and special festivals to mark significant moments. And there's a lot of feasts, and we don't have time to unpack them all, but there was things like the Feast of the Trumpets, the Feast of the Booths, the Feast of the First Fruits, the Day of Atonement, and then, of course, Passover. And there are lots of different feasts that the Jews would mark, but to sum up all of those feasts, they typically said this, the feasts were designed for three things. The first thing is that all of these feasts were to remind the people of how faithful God was. God said, look, you're going you're gonna to have these feasts, and, and this is to remind me. Remember how I was faithful? Remember how I was faithful? Remember how I was faithful? They were also times of worship. Like all of these feasts and festivals dealt with things like, hey, you're going to pray you're going to sing songs together. Like, you're going to do these things as an act of worship for me. And the third thing that all of these Jewish feasts had in common was it was done together. It was done in families and with groups of people. Like, the Jewish faith was not this individual faith, right? It was a corporate faith. It was something that they did together. Um, and, and that reminds us of Hill City. Do we have it on the screen here? Right? This is our mission statement here, right? And our mission statement, the first thing is together we love God, love others, and we make disciples of Jesus Christ. Like our church views this idea of together, just like the Jews viewed this idea that, that their faith was a corporate thing. We view this as a corporate thing as well. Like we're, we believe that we can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but also that we do this together. We pray together here at Hill City, right? We read scripture together. We encourage each other. We sing songs together. Like that is why we gather here on Sundays, right? To encourage each other and to walk this Christian faith together. And so the Jews viewed this as well. And when we find ourselves in this passage that Jesus and his disciples are about to share this meal together. Um, we've been in the gospel of Mark since January, right? And we've been kind of on this path of the king. And this summer, We've kind of slowed things down, and we are in the summer of Easter where we have been walking through Jesus' final week on earth. And so we've landed here on Passover and, and, and what people would call the Lord's Supper. Some people would call it the Last Supper. 
Um, and so what Ben read this morning in this passage starts us off talking about Passover. I want us to just take a few steps back, about 1,500 years back, and look at Exodus and look at what was Passover. What were they getting ready to practice and experience so that way we can have a better context of what Jesus and his disciples were about to do. So Passover dealt with uh, about 1,500 years earlier and Israel was in bondage by Egypt, right? They've been enslaved for 400 years by Egypt. We all grew up knowing the story, right? Israel is enslaved by Egypt, and for 400 years, they're groaning to the Lord, like, when are you going to liberate us? And finally, God says, I'm going to send somebody. I'm going to set you free, and they send Moses, right? And so Moses awkwardly goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says no nine times. And so for nine times, God sends plagues over and over and over to Egypt, causing suffering. And Pharaoh still refuses. And so finally, God says, I've had it. I'm going to send my justice, right? I'm going to come and I am going to kill the firstborn of everybody here. From the Pharaoh down to the slave daughter, the firstborn will be killed. And that sounds very harsh, right? Like God's just going to come in and kill the firstborn of everybody in Egypt. But God goes to Israel and says, I'm going to make a way for you to be saved. And this is where Passover comes into play. He says, I want you to take a lamb and I want you to kill this lamb and put the blood on a post. And then you're going to prepare a meal to, remember, to, to mark this time that I'm going to save you. And if I pass over your house and there is blood on the doorpost, I will pass over your house. God said, I'm going to get blood one way or another, right? The firstborn or a lamb. And so God does this. He comes in and, and, and those that had the blood on the doorpost were saved. And those firstborn were saved. And by the way, God is going to have a special relationship with firstborns after this point. And he starts calling them redeemed. The firstborn were redeemed because they were redeemed by the blood of the lamb, right? Like they were saved by the blood of the lamb. And so um, this lamb served as this substitutionary sacrifice. Like the lamb took the place of the firstborn. And then God also tells the Jews this. By the way, this was a really important moment. So make this moment a memorial. And so from this day forward, every year, you should remember this time where I was faithful. And you should rehearse this feast every year and remember how I was faithful. In Exodus 12, 14, he says that you should re rehearse this from generation to generation. And what does that look like? So for the next 1,500 years, the Jews are going to practice this feast. What does that look like? It was, it, there was lots of steps to it, and we, we can't get through all of it, but it started with a cup of wine where they would thank the Lord. Then everybody around the table would clean their hands. And then they would take unleavened bread and wrap it with a bitter herb, and then they would dip it into this fruit paste. And then they would eat that to remind themselves of their time in bondage. And then they would pass around another cup of wine, retelling the story of Passover. And then finally eating roasted lamb to remember the lamb that was slain. This was going on for 1,500 years. And we find ourselves here this morning in Mark 14, verses 12, where the disciples are with Jesus. And they have been good, honoring, practiced Jews. And they're like... Let's look in verse 12. It says, On the first day of the unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lands, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Like, this is what we do every year, right? It is time for Passover. 
We honor God. It's time for us to do this. Verse 13, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. By the way, this would be kind of the, hey, you'll find something odd. This was a, a thing typically for either a woman or a slave. And Jesus is saying, you'll find something peculiar. Follow that thing. So in verse 14, so they followed him wherever he enters, say to the master of the house. The teacher says, where is my guest room? Where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready, and there prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he told them. And they prepared the Passover. So the first thing in this first part of this story is that the disciples are, are, are ready to celebrate the Passover. They don't know what Jesus' instructions are. And very similar to what we read, what Brad talked about in Mark 11, is that Jesus gives them some very detailed instructions, and the disciples find that everything's already prepared for them. Like, hey, you're going to go to this place, you're going to see this thing, and Jesus is going to carefully lay out exactly what the disciples need to do to have Passover prepared for them. You know, it's very similar to that story where Jesus tells the two disciples, sends them into the city, and there is a cult ready for him for his triumphal entry. And like Brad said a few weeks ago, and I want to reiterate this, like, this is such a good fundamental truth for us to be reminded by, that God is in control of everything. We're in the last week of Jesus' life. There's going to be chaos. There's going to be arrests, beatings, betrayal, right? He's going to be put on trial. And what a couple of nice reminders. In, in his last week of his life, Jesus is going, by the way, I know exactly what's happening. And things are being orchestrated, Right? He's in control. We teach our kids in Hill City Kids that God is in control of everything. And so as I've been just meditating on this and thinking like, if I teach my five-year-old God is in control of everything, I have to teach myself that as well. Because life can be hard, right? And life can be chaotic. And in our week, things can be happening. And we have to continue to remind ourselves God is in control of everything. And so if, if things at work get hard or if a relationship gets hard, or if there's a diagnosis that you don't like. Like, whatever happens, you have to tell yourself, like, God is in control of everything. God's going to receive his glory. He's going to receive his glory. And, and he's going to, Jesus is going to walk himself to the cross. And, and he's going to receive his glory. God is in control of everything. And so hopefully we can teach ourselves that as we also teach our kids that. So, I want to point out something in verse 14. When they are eating, or when they are getting ready to eat, Jesus says, like, I want you to prepare a place for me and my disciples. Who is Jesus planning on eating the Passover with? His disciples. Passover was typically designed to eat with family. So why isn't it like, like Jesus went back and found Mary and found his brothers and went to have Passover with his immediate family? And instead, he's choosing his disciples. Well, in Mark 3, he already mentions, like, who is my family, right? It's those who are doing the will of God. Like, these are, this is kind of his chosen family. Like, this is his reconfigured family. He has chosen these people to not only eat this meal with, but he has really said, like, these are my people. Like, I am choosing to share Passover with them. I'm choosing to spend my last week here on earth with these people. So let's remember that, that he, he has chosen them. They have been given a seat at this table. And so let's talk about kind of what we have at this table. So 
Let's pick up in verse 17. When it was evening, he came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table and eating. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. At the beginning of 19, it said they became sorrowful. A couple things here. One, in ancient Near East culture, like the ultimate sign of friendship was sharing a meal together. Like you share a meal, it is saying you are friends. In some Middle Eastern cultures today, like you, you break bread with somebody and it, a friendship and a bond has been created. And so the disciples are like, not only are we sharing a meal, but you're saying somebody in this room is already going to be betraying. It compounds the treachery. Like they have the audacity to share a meal with you and betray you. The disciples weren't, okay, the disciples weren't completely stupid. Like, they knew Jesus had enemies, right? They knew that somebody was out to get him. They just assumed that it wouldn't be somebody from this intimate group that Jesus shared with. And so it said that they became sorrowful. The Greek word is actually the same word for grief. Like, the disciples immediately fell in with grief. And the only other time Mark uses that same word is when the rich young ruler turns away and walks away from Jesus because he did not want to give up his wealth to follow Jesus. And it said that the rich young ruler became sorrowful or filled with grief because he knew he was wealthy. And so both times that Mark uses that term grief, it's when people are like, I'm going to fail Jesus. I'm going to walk away from Jesus. So it said the disciples became sorrowful. And they said to one another, is it I? Like they don't know what to do. In, In the Gospel of John, it actually says they became dumbfounded, speechless. They're like, Who is this person? And so finally, Jesus says to them, is one of the 12, one who is dipping the bread into the dish with me. We talked about that, right? You took the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs and you dipped it into the dish. Who does that at the table? Everybody. So it's like, well, you haven't really narrowed it down, Jesus, right? Like it's somebody at this table. He's like, well, it's somebody who's been at this table. Okay, it's one of us 12. And I, I want us... Everyone, I'm sure, if you know the story, all of our minds are like, he's talking about Judas. And in fact, if you read previously in Mark 14, the, the, the subtext in the ESV says, like, you know, Judas betrays Jesus. Like, we, we know that this is happening. But if you kind of zoom out in Mark, Mark sandwiches the Lord's Supper in between two kind of tragic stories. Um, the first is that Judas is going to betray Jesus. And then we have this intimate meal. And then right after this intimate meal, Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me. And then right after that, the disciples can't stay awake and then they're going to flee, right? Like this intimate meal is kind of sandwiched in between the disciples continuing to deny, betray, and let Jesus down. And, And I have to think that I'm so thankful that we can see that it's the disciples who have been invited to sit with Jesus and to hear these words, and they don't deserve it, right? They are not the holiest, most righteous people to be sitting next to Jesus. They love him, they want, but they are going to continue to fail and let him down. And, and I think we'd be missing something if we didn't stop and we're like, aren't we grateful for Jesus? That he dies not for the righteous, right? He dies for the unrighteous. He dies for the unworthy. Like, I'm not worthy, 
to be at the table, but neither were the disciples, right? They are going to let him down. We're going to let him down. Like Jesus knows what Judas has done. He knows what Peter is going to do. He knows what we have done and what we're going to do. We should be grateful and grateful for our king. And when we come up here at the end of the, and, and take communion, we can be grateful saying, I didn't have to, I don't have to have all my stuff together. I, I just know that Jesus died for me, that his blood is my righteousness, and I can come to the table knowing that. So let's pick up in verse 22. And as they were eating, he took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. Now, these disciples have been participating in Passover for year after year after year. And imagine all of a sudden, I mean, Jesus has already dropped this bomb that someone's going to betray him. But then he resumes the Passover ritual and then he alters the script again. And they should have been hearing something about, like, this is the blood of our affliction representing the wilderness. And let's, right? Like, he has this, like, there's a script with Passover. And Jesus is like, nope, this is my body. And he's doing something here. And Brad hinted on this a couple of weeks ago. And I, I think it's just kind of a, a theme here in Mark that Jesus is shifting the disciples' focus, saying, it's not about the Passover, right? That was about a lamb. It's about me. I'm going to be the lamb, right? He's shifting them saying, don't think about Passover. Think about me. You know, a couple weeks ago he said, don't think about the law. Think about me. Don't think about religious leaders. Think about me. He's doing that again here with the Passover saying, this is my body. Take it. Jesus, he's saying, I am the substitutionary sacrifice. I am the lamb. And then he takes the cup. And he gives thanks and he gives it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, again, altering the script, he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. To a Jew, a covenant is such an important word. Like with covenants, God had created covenants with so many of, 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 of Jewish people before, with Noah and Abraham, God makes a covenant with both of them. And both times when he makes this covenant, there is a blood sacrifice involved, right? Blood has to be spilled. And God says, I'm going to make this covenant with you. Here is some blood spilt. Let it be so. Moses, when he makes a covenant with the people to God on Mount Sinai, he sprinkles blood on the people to seal that covenant. When God brings reconciliation with himself, the price is always blood. Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. But Jesus is saying, like, this is not another lamb that's going to be sacrificed. Like, I am that lamb. Jesus' shedding of blood is going to create this new covenant between God and his people. And Jesus' blood is going to sign this contract. And, and so it's one reason why here at Hill City, we sing songs about Jesus' blood. Like, we, 
we, we sing lots of songs, we sing lots of great songs, but we will always sing about the blood of Jesus, right? We'll sing nothing but the blood of Jesus. We'll sing thank you, Jesus, for the blood. Like we want to sing songs that remind ourselves of the significance and the importance of Jesus' blood. So the Lord's Supper is not only looking back to Passover as the disciples, and Jesus is trying to focus them on them, but the Lord's Supper, Jesus is also going to point them to something in the future. He's going to point them to something else. The Lord's Supper is a reminder of not what Jesus just did on the cross, which it is. We will remember what Jesus did on the cross. It is a reminder of what he will do. Let's look in verse 25. Jesus is going to say something else absolutely beautiful and point us towards our future with Jesus. In verse 25, he says, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus is making an oath, a covenant to us, to the disciples and to us saying, I am going to bring you into the feast of the king. The kingdom of God was often referred to as a marriage feast. And so um, this is the hope that we take part when we take part of this meal every week. It's this promise of a marriage feast. In Revelation 19, John says that Jesus is preparing a feast for us. And so one day when we, return, when we are reunited with Jesus, that we will take part in a feast. And so this morning when we, when we take communion, it's an appetizer, right? It's the dress rehearsal before the wedding day, right? And we, it's, a, it's just a foretaste, a little shadow of what's to come. And it's, it's sweet and it's intimate and we remember why we do this, but we remember that it, this is not the end, right? This is just a taste of something greater to come. The full meal comes when our Savior returns. And because this is a dress rehearsal, Paul in 1 Corinthians tells us to do this until he comes back. Like Paul's saying, hey, don't stop doing this. It's not a, don't take the, you're not taking it one. We do this often, and, when, and we stop only when he returns and when we see the fullness of of God. So, how can we apply the Lord's Supper for us here at Hill City? How can we, um, how can this apply to us? So, in Mark, Jesus gave us these two actions. He tells us to, you know, take the bread and, and take the cup. In Luke, Jesus is, and Luke records Jesus added another phrase. Jesus said, "Do this in remembrance of me." Mark doesn't mention us being reminded. And so I want to say, like, Jesus also said, like, you do this, and you do this to remember. So what does it mean to remember or to recall? Like, there is that idea of, like, just always being refreshed. But I think in some ways, remembering also means it's, like, at the forefront of your mind. When we do something, we do it often. It's at the forefront of our mind. I have, a, 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 I have photos of my family on my phone, right? And so when I am checking my, my messages or checking my email, I see pictures of my family, right? Why? It's, it's at the forefront of my mind, and I can remember my kids, and I can remember my wife, and it's just a, it's a way to just continually be reminded of who my people are, right? We want a reminder of Jesus and what he did. And so 
Um, if you are newer to Hill City, or if you're new, this is your first Sunday, welcome, right? But you may notice at Hill City, we do communion almost every Sunday. We participate in the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Why? Jesus asked us to. Actually, Paul, um, in his letters to the early church, said there are five things that you should do regularly with believers. And he said you should always pray together, read scripture together, sing songs to one another and to God, baptize, and take communion. Like that, that was Paul's instruction to the early church. And so we're just trying to honor God the best way we can. And that is by doing those five things as often as we can. So at Hill City, um, since our inception, we've always had this idea that practice shapes our beliefs. Like what we do helps shape what we believe. And so how we spend our time and what we do regularly will shape our theology about God. And so... In our gatherings on Sundays, we want to be a church that carries out practices that help shape our beliefs about who God is. We rehearse the gospel on Sunday mornings. And it's with the help of the Holy Spirit that helps us, allows us to experience the gospel. I need to be reminded of the gospel. You need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to rehearse the gospel so that we can remember this. We need to remind ourselves that we serve a holy God. We need to be reminded of our sin and, and how we are not worthy, right? And, and we are not righteous on our own. And that it took Jesus dying on the cross. It was his blood that saves us. And because of this, the gospel should compel us to respond. And so we respond by singing. We respond by praying. We respond by reading liturgies to one another. To remind us of our need for Jesus and how it was his work alone, nothing we did. His blood alone redeems us, nothing we do. If you're serving communion, would you go ahead and get ready? One, one of my favorite authors is the, the late theologian and pastor Tim Keller, and he told a story of, to kind of help us visualize the Passover, and I, I think it, it, it does a good job. Imagine you are in Egypt right after the Passover, and obviously right after the actual Passover, right, there is death, there is chaos, the, the, the Israelites are getting ready to leave Egypt, there's a lot happening, and imagine you just grabbing somebody, an Israelite, and saying, who are you? What's happening, right? Like, there's so much chaos. Who are you and what's happening? And that person would probably respond to you like this. I was a slave under the sentence of death, but I took shelter under the blood of a lamb, and I escaped bondage. And now God lives in our midst. And I am going to follow him to the promised land. I love that. Like, isn't that exactly what we would say today? Like, who are you? What's happening? We would respond, like, I, we, were, we were slaves of sin. We were condemned to die. But we escaped by the blood 
of a lamb, a blood of Jesus, the perfect lamb. And by the way, that lamb didn't stay dead, right? There's a caveat. That lamb didn't stay dead. He rose again, and now through his spirit, God lives in our midst. We are longing to go home to the marriage feast one day. Passover, the Lord's Supper, is remembering what God faithfully did with the Israelites. But the Israelites' story is our story, right? Like what Jesus did, we, what we do on Sunday mornings is to mark and remember what Jesus did for us. Just like the Jews carried out Passover to remember God's faithfulness, we take part in communion to remember God's faithfulness, but also to long for the future. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your blood and how you poured it out for many and how it was a way for us to come to the Father. God, we thank you for the people in here. Um, and Lord, as we, as we take communion, can we remember your sacrifice? Can we remember what you did on the cross? But can we also remember this is a dress rehearsal, that something sweeter is coming one day where we will be face to face with you. Amen.